Hey folks, welcome to episode 132 with the Becoming Human podcast. Mike and I recorded this podcast right after he finished his 100 mile run without calories, which he completed in 18 hours and 40 minutes. Holy crap. It's just so wild that he was able to um, have that experience where he completely depended on his body's fat for fuel. Um, since then, Mike has beaten the FKT on the Colorado Trail by nearly a day. He finished in 7 days and 13 hours. Matt's personality shows that he loves when his goal appears unlikely or impossible. He shares many stories in this episode that exemplify this and reveal a very strong character. When Mike had finished his 100-mile run without calories, he got a lot of pushback. We talk about what it's like to receive that kind of attention from people and how it's important to treat people how you want to be treated, even if you disagree with them. At the end of the episode, I put a beautiful freestyle hip-hop song called Birth and Death by Christoph Crane. You can check out the link to the video or watch it on um, becominghumanpodcast.com. Um, and you can go to Instagram um, at the low carb runner or find Mike McKnight on Facebook uh, if you want to hit him up for coaching for the fat adapted nutrition and just running in general. Um, without any further ado, here's a little Christoph Crane before I play you in with Mike McKnight. There's something special about staying strong Realizing that you'll always get beyond Anything as long as you're together And even if you learn how to adapt to all the weather Then we can always be here forever Forever, forever, ever, forever, ever Yeah, as long as you understand that it was never And as long as we know that we are all connected To one being of a sun that's up there and it shivers And I know it from every spring, fall, and summer, and winter I can feel my mother and father for what I give them and so it's death the way that we die we try to cope with something that we learned is look in the eyes when did your um when did you start running so so I'm 30 right now and I started running when I just turned 21 I yeah um I, I didn't have a history of it in high school or anything like that I did a little bit of track but that was just because I was doing football and they made us do track and football but I, I didn't really enjoy it or anything um so when I was 21, my sister was training for a half marathon and she like challenged me to do it with her. So started running a few miles a day, um, did the half marathon and I did it in just under an hour and a half. So wow. it was, uh, I was pretty stoked with it. Um, considering I didn't train like in, too intently for it. Um, so I, so I decided to start running a little bit more, um, tra train a little bit harder. I had a little bit of like a lofty goal to try and walk onto the track team at Utah State, the the college that I was attending. So I started training for that, but um, about six months after that half marathon, I was in a skiing accident and I I broke my back. Um, it was a pretty <laughs> it was a pretty uh, bad accident. Um, I shattered my L1 vertebrae had to go get surgery the next day. I had a couple of rods and some screws put into my spine. So at that moment where did it look promising that you're going to be able to do like sports after then, or was it pretty bleak? So, um, first thing I asked my doctor after surgery is if like when I could start running again, just because yeah, I was starting to enjoy it by this point. Um, 
So the doctor told me, so this was February of 2012, and he told me that I could possibly start swimming again in August, um, and then maybe I could start running again a year after my surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, he just said that I would basically be in bed for a few months and that um, it wasn't hopeful to do it within a year. But so so basically I dropped out. Of, oh, I didn't drop out of college. I um, incompleted my classes. So that just means I deferred them for a year, basically. Um, so I deferred my classes for a year. I moved home with my parents. I lost my job. Um, and long story short, just over three weeks after my surgery, I, um, I was starting to get antsy. And so I, I, I got up out of bed and decided to go for about a half mile run. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did, did you did you feel, were you physically feeling it, or did you just really want to get out there? <laughs> I just wanted to get out there. Yeah. <laughs> so I went out for a half mile run, and I had one of those um, like they came in and made like a torso brace that was like specific to my body. It's like made out of like a type of plastic, and so I just did my run while I was wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> so um long story short like it didn't hurt more than it was hurting when i was in bed Mm -hmm. and so i just made a point to start running um 10 to 15 minutes a day at the three-week point (laughs) and (laughs) and then um six weeks later i um i signed up and ran a 10k (laughs) what oh my god yeah yeah it it was kind of (laughs) weird But yeah, I ran a 10K and then, um, so yeah, that was six weeks later. So it was, it was April 1st. I remember the date. Um, and then come June, since I didn't have a job and I wasn't in college or anything like that, and my back felt fine, I was running 10 miles a day um, wow. just because I had nothing else to do and it didn't hurt. <laughs> Were you surprised that, that you love running so much? Because it, it sounded like, like your interest and um, passion for running had developed over time prior to that injury. And now it's like your love of running almost pulled you through in this like kind of improbable scenario. Yeah. Like, cause like you know, technically like I was only enjoying running for like six months before I broke yeah. my back. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure what it was. I wonder, I, I, since I love ultra running so much, um, I, I've just always wondered like, if just the thrill of doing something that I was told I shouldn't do mm-hmm. <laughs> was yeah. like pushing me to do it. <laughs> but I mean, like, and even like today, like if I have to like take a couple of days off from running, that's when my back hurts the most. And so I just noticed that when I was running, it either hurt less or hurt the same. So you know, it was just kind of like a therapy for me at that point. And you know, again, where I had nothing to do, like my friends were in college, I wasn't, I didn't have a job. Like basically my schedule was I would stay up till 3 a.m. watching YouTube videos uh-huh. <laughs> and then I would wake up again at almost noon the next day. Then I'd go run for a few hours and then hang out with my friends when they got out of college. Like, <laughs> wow. So like, it's kind of just that that's all I, that's the only options I had. So that's when, what I did. <laughs> before you started running um, and you were doing like those various other sports, uh, did you have a similar relationship to those sports like you do with running? Because it's interesting where like I've thrown myself into running and initially I didn't really like it very much and I never did <laughs> as a kid. But like 
um, this like sense of adventure with trail running and, and that unique relationship that I had with it, like over time, I've began to love it. And at some points, like crave it now where I would think like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I would look at running and just look terrible. And it was just weird how my relationship with that changed. And I've never had that with, with anything else. It was like I discovered, you know, like that aspect of myself. Nice. Yeah, I, I didn't have that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I so I grew up on a dairy farm um, mm-hmm. and I didn't do sports until till, um, it was my junior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, like, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I could have worked hard and found my talent. But at that point, I was like kind of making excuses like I was on the bench a lot and um. I was kind of afraid, like I, I got beat up a lot at practice and so oh, shit. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I I don't know why I picked football <laughs> as <my> sport. <laughs> but no, I, I, I kinda hated sports just because just because the sport I picked got me all beat up and I wasn't good at it. So um so no, I didn't experience what you experienced. <laughs> wow. But then you have like this thing where all of it's uh, up to you and all of you're responsible for all of your efforts, right? And your rewards. Right. right. It's cool how like you see people's experiences shape them to prefer certain kind of sports. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I never would have guessed that I would be enjoying ultra running at this point in my life. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> so when you're finding yourself like, you know, running ten miles a day now and um did you start how is your relationship with running? Like, did you see running as something you wanted to spend your life doing or um, did you start developing professional goals outside of that? So my goal was still to um, eventually walk onto the track team at the college that I was at. Um, But that goal. So, so yeah, it was it was June and July when I was running 10 miles a day and the back accident was in February. So was that four and a half to five months after my surgery? So yeah, and at this point, the doctor, I still haven't even, like to this day, I haven't told my doctor that, <laughs> that I did that. <laughs> I would just go into my checkups and he'd ask how things were going and I'd say fine and not really tell him anything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so in July, though, I ended up finding a new job <clears throat> and um, I knew somebody there who knew that I was like starting to get into running. So he introduced me to somebody at that company that he knew liked running and this guy like told me how he was prepping for a a 50 mile race that he was doing in the next couple of weeks and i had no idea like i've never heard of ultra running so i didn't know that that kind of race existed um and he was doing the bear 100 that year as well um which is the local 100 mile race here where i'm at so <clears throat> so he started to invite me to go with him and at this point too i didn't even know that trail running was a thing i thought you know you ran on the roads and you hiked on the trails kind of a thing. <laughs> and so he invited me to, um, a trail run. He, he was, he invited me for weeks and I kept turning him down because I was pretty intimidated. <laughs> um, but I finally went with him and like, I mean, it was hard. Like I was breathing heavy and he had to wait for me a couple of times, but I, I fell in love with it. And, um, I, I signed up and did my first ultra a few months after that. Um, so my first ultra was just like a 28 miler here in the valley that I'm at. And it ended up being just over a year after my surgery. So 
So about the time that I was supposed to be able to start running again, I just run my first ultra. So it worked out perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That's so wild. Yeah, it was fun. (laughs) So much like just determination. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was. um, So yeah, it's it's not like the most um, common intro to ultra running, but that's how it happened. (laughs) Yeah. And what about what about the experience of running? do you love like what what are the some of the key things that draw you to it um i mean just the feeling that i get when i do it like you know i notice that like the days that i don't run that i notice that like i'm a lot more groggy that day and i'm tired and i don't feel as refreshed so you know that's something um but just to like the aspect of ultra running it's about pushing your limits and doing stuff that like 90% 90% of the world says it's impossible. <laughs> so yeah. it's just kind of thrilling to to be able to do something like that. And, you know, that kind of falls into the same category as, you know, my doctor told me, he didn't say it was impossible that I would run before a year that, you know, he told me I shouldn't do it. And so I had the appeal to do it. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, you have all these people who are saying ultra running is unhealthy and saying that it's going to be bad for your joints and, and yada 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 so I, I i just you know i have that sense of like people think this is stupid but that's what makes it epic so mm-hmm. i'm gonna keep doing it kind of a thing <laughs> it's like that that sense of curiosity right right exactly <laughs> and um do you enjoy just getting to uh, like find your edge and see what you're capable of because it's so interesting in in ultra running it's a very like running in general it's a very experiential process of like trial and error and you you there's so much depth that you get to know from your body right whether it's like understanding when you need to eat um drink and how to read signs of like fatigue and learning pace and stuff like can you can you kind of like share what it's like over the course of, you know, what the, the 10 years of, of running that what you learn in that time frame and like what's it, what kind of relationship you develop with your body? I think the biggest thing that I learned, um, I think my kid just fell. I don't know yeah. if you could hear oh. that. <laughs> I was going to, I thought woke up at first. And then my, no, just oh. a big thud and now he's screaming. Oh. Um, but my wife's got him. <laughs> um, so I'd say the biggest thing that I learned over these past 10 years is how individualized the sport is. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, is, is he, is he super loud or can you hear me still? I can hear you still. Okay. Um, but yeah, how an individualized the support, the sport is just because, you know, when I started, especially like in the terms of nutrition, um, there, have you heard of Carl Meltzer? I'm sure you have. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the speed goat. Um, yep. So he's from Utah and he lives about an hour and a half from where I am. So when I started running, he was like the first like ultra star that I had heard of um, just because he's from here. And I was reading an article on him in Trailrunner magazine where he there was like a Q&A and they asked him what he ate. Um, and he basically just answered that, you know, he eats whatever he wants, that he <laughs> has a burger if he wants it, a beer if he wants it, a pizza if he wants it, like he just eats whatever he wants. And so I adopted that. And essentially every race that I did, um, I puked. I, I didn't, I didn't feel yeah. good. Like I had digestive issues. 
Um, and so during those races, I kind of did the same concept where like I would eat gummy bears, I'd eat, drink soda, just a bunch of junk just because I saw him do it. And I saw a bunch of other runners do it who were like crushing it out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't so, um, you know, it took, it took some time, but, you know, I came across the keto diet three years ago. So, you know, that was 2017 and I started running in 2013. So I had been doing whatever I want for five years and not seeing good results from it. Um, and, you know, when I started keto and low carb and all that, you know, I had all of the people who were so against it tell me I shouldn't do it, that I'm going to have all these issues. But I mean, within weeks, I started noticing some major benefits. So, and, you know, there's people out there like Jim Walmsley who are crushing it. I think he's like vegan or vegetarian. Um mm-hmm. You know, he's crushing it on that. And then you have the people like Carl who are doing whatever they want. So it's just, you know, people just need to realize how individual the sport is. And you just got to kind of work through and find what works best for you and nutrition and everything. I mean, in in the sport itself, like, correct me if I'm wrong um, in a general principle, but like on your long runs and stuff, you're using that as like an end of one experiment, whether or not you need like, um, things for blisters, right. Or chafing. And like some people don't, my nipples don't bleed, but like <laughs> I got troll thighs and, and I have had to like learn how to dial in like chafing for, for my thighs. And when I was first started to run with a friend, he's like, why are my nipples hurting? There's blood everywhere. And I'm like, I think something's wrong with you. And then I, I, I research it and I learned that, Oh, it's like some people um, have that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, I yeah. think like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's just, uh, it seems like as I'm getting into it more, um, you spend a lot of time experimenting in, you know, with fueling and stuff more so than like looking at my technical, like my pace. Yeah, totally. You know, fueling, like you said, the chafing, um, what apparel works because I, I, I was a heavy chafer too. Um, I use squirrels nut butter and that's what works for me, but like, I've also learned too that there's some good apparel companies out there. Like I was with Rabbit last year, and I found that I could even do some runs without my squirrels nut butter and not chafe. And Solomon makes some good apparel. So yeah, like if you find the right apparel, if you find the right chafe, like everybody is different. But then you have people like you who just don't chafe. So yeah, <laughs> at least at least up there in the nipple area. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's just so individualized, and you know, obviously take advice from some like take advice and try it, but like, don't get frustrated if it's working for them and not working for you. You just gotta, gotta figure it out. So that, that's the biggest thing that I've learned is it's a very individualized sport and how you approach it and, and, and all that. And what I appreciate is the, like the landscape of, um, of ideas, right. And like almost in like a battleground in some way and not in like, uh, you know, with like heated debate or anything like that. But like, you could look, you could look at several examples of why like being a vegan or vegetarian is a great idea, uh, eating whatever the hell you want and not stressing about it. Right. And, um, uh, going like, you know, low carb or fat adapted and like for the person to express themselves or want to take the time outside of their running to like express themselves, put out content, um, you know, or just try these end of one experiments and just talk about them. Um, from a personal experience, right, um, is wonderful because it uh, like allows or arms a person with some critical thinking to like 
go out there and experiment for themselves in a safe way and learn how to like understand what has been studied and also what has just been experimented with on the individual level and like going from there. And I, you know, I think it's so great because you can see a lot of this information, um, like consolidated, you know, you don't have to refer to like books or like the scant news article. You can see like, uh, you know, vlog posts, blogs and podcasts, and you can, you know, really look at the noise to signal ratio to find the, like the meat and potatoes of it. Right. And right. the people who are like operating at the extreme ends of, you know, the diet and the performance. Right. And, and see how it works for them and then take it to your own self and, and go from there. I mean, I think it's so important to like have that, I guess that free, not the, fr the freedom, I suppose, for people to put it out there. Right. Putting it out there is one thing. Another thing would be trying to shut other people down so that you could like, you're right. You know, right. <laughs> you don't do that. But you've been oh. really like straightforward in a lot of your information with that zero calorie hundred miler that you were doing. And I noticed you just got like some people kind of like had a weird response to it. And um, I know it's like challenging right now and like landscape of social media with the pandemic and everything else that's going on politically and socially. But like just talking about those ideas are important, you know? Yeah. And it'd be nice to get to a point where people don't feel threatened when somebody's talking about it. Yeah. You know, like you said, you can talk about it and at the same time, not be forcing it on like, you know, you should try this because this worked for me. Like, you know, it's just fascinating to learn about how things work for people. Like, so, you know, I like to learn from other people and it'd, it'd be good for, you know, other people just to hear, what works for other people as well not just not to do it themselves but just to see that, <clears throat> that everybody's different yeah exactly um, certainly it's a testament to that yeah and with uh with your 100 mile run what was that experience like and what kind of thoughts did you have going into doing the 100 mile zero calorie run um you know a lot of it was just unknown um because like the biggest thing that drew me to wanting to try this was, you know, when I started with low carb, high fat three years ago, um, you know, so there's keto and there's OFM. Um, and most athletes, you know, you have like Zach Bitter and Jeff Browning um, and a lot of other people, Peter Defty, the, the founder of uh, Vespa. Like there, there's something out there called OFM and that's what most endurance athletes are doing. And that's just basically um, training your body to be more efficient at burning fat also while being able to burn glucose. Um, so, you know, a lot of people think that we're just mainly focusing on fat. Um, we're just trying to become efficient at both. <clears throat> and so when you start doing keto and OFM, um, there's like different phases that you go through. And at the very first phase is the adaption phase. And basically what you do is you follow strict keto for a few weeks to a couple of months. Um, and then you do all of your long runs essentially fasted um, just because you're trying to get your body used to burning fat for fuel. And then after a few months, you can start reintroducing carbs um, strategically off of like, you know, if I go for like a 25 mile run one day, um, within a couple of hours after that run, I'm going to eat some carbs. I'll eat some berries. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I'll do some white rice, but, you know, just timing your carbs strategically and so during that first phase, um, when I was doing my runs fasted, I was realizing 
like how good I felt. Like I wasn't having GI stress. My energy levels felt great. Um, and after that phase, when I could start having some calories on my runs, um, you know, I noticed like I felt better than before I, I started keto, but I didn't feel as good when I was just fasting. Mm-hmm. And so I just started doing all of my long runs fasted um, just because I felt better and started doing some more research. There's somebody named Dr. Jeff Bullock. He he's kind of like one of the leading like doctors for um, fat adaptation and endurance athletes. And he always made it a point to say how like, you know, even the thinnest athlete has enough onboard fat to last them for days. And so I always wondered how that correlated into a physical state. Um, Cause you know, when he said that he was just saying that somebody in a sedentary state could last for, for days, just relying on their fat. And so I was wondering what those numbers correlated to if you were being physically active. So, so going into this run, um, you know, it was theorized that it was possible, but no one's ever done it to, to my research. And so I just didn't know what to expect. So I'd say the biggest thing that I was thinking going into is like, you know, if, if crap hits the fan, like what's that going to look like? And so yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I had somebody who's tried it before, made it to about 75 miles. And his advice to me <clears throat> was basically, don't go too fast because if you do, um, you're just going to go into muscle failure. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant and like what that would feel like. Like, <laughs> would I just be running and all of a sudden my legs seized up and I tipped over and couldn't move? Like, like oh, what gosh. is what does muscle failure mean? So, yeah. <laughs> so I had that nagging thought in the back of my head going into it. Like, is this going to go well? Am I going to suffer? Like, did, it, I, did that I, nagging thought make you feel anxious at all, or can you keep pretty calm? Um, you mean going into it or during it? During. So I was pretty calm for the first 32 miles because that's the furthest I had gone in a fasted state before. Yeah. Um, so once I hit 32, like the rest was just unknown. So I was thinking about that quite a bit. Um, that made me a little anxious, but not like overly anxious. I didn't waste like energy thinking about it. Um, so yeah, like. But in terms of like the actual run, like it was super uneventful in a good way. <laughs> like yeah. the first 30 miles um, was a breeze. Um, and aside from like, so there's one section from like mile 48 to mile 50, 50 and a half, 51, mm-hmm. um, that was on some railroad tracks. And, um, so to give a little backstory on that, I created the route, shared it with my friends in the valley that I live. <clears throat> Somebody sent an edit back to me. Um, basically, he changed a section that would have taken me off a busy road onto like a ATV trail that followed a canal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I liked that um, just because I didn't want to be on a busy road. So I took his route, downloaded it to my watch. And this is mostly my fault for not looking fully at the route. Um, but for some reason, and I talked to him afterwards and he said that when he did it years ago, there was, there used to be a trail there, (laughs) but he sent me down this like three mile section of railroad tracks (laughs) to get me off of the busy road again. Yeah. (laughs) And so I start like, my watch starts beeping because like, you know, I know there's Valley like the back of my head because I've lived here my whole life. And so I'm just running where I think I'm supposed to go. And my watch starts beeping and I like look at it and it's telling me to veer right onto the railroad tracks. 
So I was like, oh, this is weird. So I got on it and followed it. And the trail that used to be there wasn't there anymore. So I was like skipping railroad ties and it was just super rocky, sharp rocks. So it was hard to run. So I essentially walked that whole section and it was the heat of the day. So it was like, you know, freaking hot. I was going slower. Like that was the first time that I like got out of my groove. And so those three miles were a little bit rough and frustrating, but as soon as I got off of that, I was able to get back into it and finish. What was it like to shift gears from those those rough miles to the smooth miles again? Is that was that pretty easy for you psychologically, or did you have to do like some pep talk or coping skills? I had to do some pep talk. Yeah, <laughs> but fortunately, like a mile and a half after I got off of those railroad tracks, um, so I had some people that paced me throughout the day. And just a couple miles after that, somebody met me. So I was able to get talking with somebody again shortly after. And that helps. For people who don't have any experience like uh, ultra running or, or, or racing, um, what is it like to have a pacer like emotionally and, and how uplifting is it for you? I mean, it's especially like in that moment when I was like struggling, it's it's amazing because at least me, I like try to put on this front that I'm not pissed. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I put on this front for a little bit, <clears throat> which helps me get back into my groove. And then I don't have to put up on a front anymore just because I'm finally feeling good again. So, you know, sometimes you like try to make yourself feel better than you are because you don't want them to worry and you don't want them to like, not that a pacer would suggest you quit, but like in this situation, like where I've never done it before, like, I didn't want to raise any red flags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, having somebody there to help you like, you know, toughen up. Um, and then just somebody like in my case, like, I, I hardly ever talk to my pacers just because I'm not a talker when I'm in the zone. Um, so even though I'm not talking, it's nice just to have somebody like spitballing and telling stories and have no expectations of me communicating back to them, but just having somebody to listen to. So you know, it's just nice to have some company. Um, in this situation, like like I said, I know this place like the back of my head. So, you know, like <clears throat> a pacer wasn't needed in that aspect. But like if you're in an area that you're not familiar with, um, it's nice too to have somebody that's there with you, like to potentially get lost with you or whatever, like just to like know you're not alone. So, yeah. That's kind of like a long answer, but it, it's pretty uplifting to have somebody there with you to just talk to you and, and help you to hide your emotions. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. That's like, that's great. Cause I think it's a, such a like profound element, I suppose of like camaraderie that comes from a pacer. And I've even noticed like being just in the presence of someone without really sharing words. Cause I'm pretty quiet myself, like all the psychology that goes into, you know, how you act when other people are around. Like it just changes all of your abilities, like whether it's physical or mental, if you're in like a complete like shit fest, right? Or if you're physically wrecked, like just having someone be there just completely brings you to a whole nother level. And like in the dramatic sense of like, you know, running or doing something that's relatively really hard, like it's it's pretty impactful when someone's there. And I think it, it's cool, you know, and yeah an interesting opportunity because like i've recognized that outside of like those extreme events i don't often like have such an intense relationship with other people sometimes even people that i hardly know just wow yeah <laughs> yeah it's a it's definitely a sport that gets you familiar with 
being really good friends that you didn't know like a couple hours ago. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like um, part of your love for like running and ultra running though goes beyond the running itself and is like pursuing these curiosities, you know, within your own self. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of that too is just like, you know, growing up as a dairy farmer, like, you know, I kept to myself and didn't have a lot of like, I didn't feel like I can, you know, this is going to sound like sad and whatever, but like, I, I didn't like feel like I like ever contributed to anything just because I was quiet. I was reserved. I didn't get involved with friends just because I always had to go home and milk the cows and whatnot. So like to be able to, to do something that's so out of the ordinary and, um, you know, push my limits and, and help others push their limits. Like it's, it's a really fun thing to be involved in. And it's, yeah. It's wild. Cause like, just to like, to stretch it a little bit is it almost like latches onto a lot of those, your experiences when you're younger in its own way. Right. Like you got to go milk the cows, right? You got to go run your miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause you know what I mean? Like you got to spend, you spend either these times, even if it's isolated with like a group of people or isolated with just yourself, like, like how much, how many hours do you think you spend a week? You know, not on your peak days, just median, um, like training for running. How many hours a week that that's like, I mean, it's over 10 <laughs> over. Yeah. And like, how much do you think out of those hours do you spend alone? over 10 because <laughs> uh, i realized it through my long runs is like and even when i run with some people um when it's not like a long run you know and we're gonna go out in like alpine area but we're just doing some training stuff and like we got a grip of distance between us and i always think about it i'm like this is like when i was a kid and i just like go into the woods or i'd be in a group of people and i'd like i'd put myself in these situations where i was with people but i was like doing my own thing and like running in a very non-specific way kind of fulfills those things, you know, but mm -hmm. it's very, and it's very satisfying. Yeah. And I think it's funny too, that like, um, you know, I'm sure you get it too. Like one of the biggest things I hear is just like, you know, how wild it is to run that kind of distance. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other thing I feel like consistently hear not as much, but quite a bit is, um, like I personally hardly ever run with music. And when people hear that, they're just mind blown that I can go run, hours and not have like any music to listen to and you know I, I just think that kind of shows like kind of where the society is that <laughs> you know like kind of the whole concept of like you know needing social media needing technology it's just like you know how can somebody go run for hours and not listen to music like you know it's just so much time to like most of the time I'm thinking about nothing but it's just nice to be able to go out there and think about nothing and just shut down and and yeah, be out there it's in the woods. Like just be completely in your body, right? Yeah. And yeah, not a lot of people can do that. And so it's just nice to be able to do that. I can remember probably within the span of like the last three years transitioning from like, I listened to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks, and I'll do from time to, I'll do that from time to time, but I'd find myself, um, it just feel like, like chaotic, right? Like there's just like so much noise and I would uh, put the headphones away and, you know, I'd be on this like a long run and five hours would just go by. And like, it felt like so much emptiness and, and it was spacious. Like at once it used to be like terrifying and, and boring. Right. But 
that level of emptiness wasn't was not intimidating anymore and it became spaciousness yeah like totally really yeah because it's weird because in that like in the span of hours not much goes on but it's so it feels really good psychologically right yeah do you do you ever have like any kind of time warping where time either a drags on really badly or time goes by extremely fast or is it all kind of normal for you it's all kind of normal um i'd say time usually goes quick while i'm racing um -hmm. i mean like during my training runs and stuff like an hour and a half to four hours feels like an hour and a half to four hours but like when i did that fasted 100 i was like kind of blown away at how quickly that day went by um even while i was doing it so I have a little bit of that while I'm racing, but not while I'm training. I only get it during downhill, like long, long downhills. But yeah, other than that, it's time's time, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of like in, in closing, you you did the triple, you got like the triple crown. Or wait, you got the fastest time of all three of the 200s last year, right? So I've done the triple crown twice. I did yeah. it in 2017, and in 2017, I, I guess both times I've done it, I got the fastest time overall. Um, and then, but in 2019, so last year, I went back and um, I did it again just to try and improve my time for the like overall time between all three. And through some like crazy miracle I, I like I didn't go in I didn't go into it like expecting this to happen but um this past year I was able to win each individual race as well so I got I got the overall fastest time again but I was able to win uh the Bigfoot Tahoe and Moab 200s that's wild it was yeah it was and I think that's just like and like I, I thought about that a lot just because I never expected it to happen um, mm-hmm. but like comparing the two years and like, this is just a testament to how well this diet works for me personally. Mm-hmm. But like in 2017, I just started the diet. Um, but in a way I still had like the, the mindset of wanting to eat whatever I want because I essentially would race so I could give myself a week to eat whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I found myself racing a lot just cause I wanted to eat other food. Yeah. <laughs> so like, the first year I did the triple, um, you know, after each race, I had like a week where I'd eat like fried food, onion rings, fried chicken. I'd have some shakes from Dairy Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like run at all in between those races. And then going into the races, like I was super inflamed. I was super sore. I was really feeling it. Um, whereas this, or I guess last year in 2019, um, I like really had it dialed in and like you know the sugar cravings had gone and i didn't really care to cheat anymore so you know i had a good year of not cheating a good year of strict keto ofm and i went into these races and um ate some good food the week after as compared to two years ago when i ate junk and i just felt like i recovered quick my inflammation was low i was able to start running again in between each race to get a little bit more prep for the next race so just my recovery times were quite a bit quicker this go around and you know for me I, I contribute that to just eating a lot cleaner and and how well this style of eating works for me how do you feel um in like day-to-day life too um physically like 
because you're the way that the way that you're eating and training is that having a really positive effect on your um, your average your overall lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I take one day off a week usually, and I've noticed like those days I'm a little bit more irritable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like you know, I, I definitely feel it. Like, I feel a lot better throughout the day, and yeah, it, it, it's de- like. You know, when I first, I, I've been married for five years now. And, you know, when me and my wife first got married, we went through that, that newlywed stage where didn't want to like separate from each other at the hip. And like, <laughs> like whenever I'd go on my runs or races, like my wife like missed me a lot. And I almost like, <laughs> we joke about it now, but like she would almost try and like convince me to drop just so we could go back home and watch a movie or something together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but now it's gotten to the point where like, like she wants me to go run because she doesn't want me to be cranky. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it, it impacts my life in a good way. I feel much better when I can go out and have an adventure. <laughs> That's right. It's yeah. cool. Cause it, it seems like, um, like, you know, through running, it's caused you to, to pay attention and focus on like how, how to, um, to like eat and train just to be optimal, like overall, you know, cause like when you don't have that vehicle, Right. When you don't have that love for something, you might, you know, exercise because it's good for you or you might eat because it's good for you. And in basing things off of that, and for me personally, uh, it's boring and like very uninspiring. And it's very like you should do. And like in, in this scenario, though, you get to do more what you love and the better that you feel. Right. The better the better running is. And like being in that relationship you get to like explore what your body needs, you know, even when it comes down to like hydrating and stuff, you're not punishing yourself so that you can do what you're supposed to. You're, um, you're like learning so that you can do more of what you want to. Yeah, and definitely. That, that relationship's really cool, man. It's like super inspirational to be able to talk to you. And do you, uh, do you have any recommendations for anyone who's, uh, interested in the, um, OFM and like learning more about it? Yeah. Um, I mean, research Dr. Jeff Bullock. Um, he has a lot of good information and, um, on Vespa's website, um, Peter Defty's website, he has some information on OFM, but I mean, just in general, like the few pieces of advice that I'd give to somebody is, um, start slow. So like if you're pretty carb dependent, maybe pick a food group that you want to eliminate for a few weeks. So, you know, the ideal thing would be to pick processed junk, (laughs) So if you drink soda, if you eat cookies and all that stuff, like, you know, eliminate that for a few weeks and get used to that and then pick another food group and just kind of slowly work your way into it. But in terms of like, once you actually go full on in, the thing that I didn't know at first that I wish I knew that would have helped me adapt a lot quicker is that, you know, when you go low carb, your body dumps a lot more salt than the typical carb dependent Mm -hmm. athlete. And so, um, supplement salt, some like Redmond real salt into some, like I drink salt water every day. Um, Mm -hmm. so just start supplementing salt in, um, to help replenish that. And it will help you recover a little bit quicker and get through the keto flu a little bit quicker. Um, but yeah, take some more salt, um, research, Dr. Jeff Volek, go at it slow and just start eliminating the food that everybody can agree on. That's not good for you. And then start going into the other stuff, the grains, the pastas and all that. And, you know, the slower, like that's how I did it. Um, I started eliminating the junk first and then the breads and then, um, you know, everything else. So 
So yeah, but the biggest, I guess the biggest thing I'd say is to research Dr. Jeff Volick, listen to his lectures, listen to podcasts that Zach Bitter and Jeff Browning do because they've been doing this for years and they have a lot of good um, information about it. Sweet. Now make sure to leave all that in the show notes too. Okay. And if anyone's interested too, I, I do coaching as well and I have some keto OFM resources that I could share as well, but um, I will, I'll be the first to admit that Jeff and Zach have been doing this longer, so they have a lot more knowledge on it than I do. So I like that transparency, man. And where, where can people find out more about you and your, your coaching and stuff? <clears throat> I'm, st- <clears throat> I'm still building my website. So <clears throat> the only way that works is to reach out through me through Facebook messenger, um, or Instagram direct message. Um, <clears throat> my Instagram is dirty Mike underscore 89. And my Facebook is Michael John McKnight and, that's just the easiest way to reach me until I get my website up. <clears throat> all right. That sounds good. And I'll make sure to put all those in the show notes for everyone too. Cool. Awesome. Sweet. Thank you. I appreciate it, Mike. Yeah. Thank you. Woo. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. I'd love to be able to talk with Mike. He is such a cool guy. And it was so interesting to see how his body reacted from running those hundred miles. Like, it's cool or capable of, you know, and there's such a, like a wealth of experiences to be had out there for every one of us. And just takes putting yourself out there. Um, I'm going to play you out with the song by, by Christoph Crane called birth and death freestyle. It's perhaps one of my favorite freestyles ever by one of my favorite hip hop artists. And if you want to see the video, you can go to becominghumanpodcast.com. And to learn more about Mike McKnight's coaching, you can head over to Instagram at the Low Carb Runner or Facebook at Mike McKnight and send him a message. All right, here it is, Christoph Crane. What was your grandpa's name? Jim? All right, so, so this piece, all right, um, all right, it's going to be heavy. Okay, it's going to be heavy. I don't want you to be like... Jim, uh, his grandpa recently passed away. So that's going to be a part of what's going to be happening. Anything else? Idea. So how about just death in general? What else? Staying strong, death, birth. Birth and death. All right. Wow, okay, here we go. Alright, so we got birth, death, grandpa, staying strong, staying strong, I'm so thankful that I had a mom, cause some people, they never had a mom, but they learned how to get a mom in the world they lived, now there's a boy and there's a girl and there was birth, there's a woman's side and a man's side for what it's worth, I know that deep inside of me I connect with both, because I am the parasite and I'm the host, when you die you live, When you live, you learn to die. When you're born, you actually die. It's funny how when we are born, we need somebody to take care of us. Just like when we get old, we need somebody to take care of us. And in in between, we need something like a therapist. And in between, we feel emotions get embarrassed with the things that the society put on us. And it's all imperative, because I know because there's nothing that compares to it. There's something special about staying strong, realizing that you'll always get beyond anything as long as you're together. And even if 
you learn how to adapt to all the weather, then we can always be here forever, 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 ever, forever, ever. Yeah, as long as you understand that it was never, and as long as we know that we are all connected to one being of a sun that's up there and it shivers. And I know it from every spring, fall, and summer, and winter. I can feel my mother and father for what I give them. And so it's death, the way that we die. We try to cope with something that we learned is look in the eyes. I don't know what it's like. I know what it's like to lose a grandpa to Alzheimer's. He drank a little booze, but mostly he had something in his brain that obstructed the reality of himself. And I know when I watched him try to function, and it made me sad. It made me really mad. It made me feel like a little kid who was glad to have a grandpa and a mom and a family and not take them for granted and know that I'm a human being walking on this planet and all I have to do is look to understand it and all I have to do is not try to overstand it stand here look at the mountain in the mirror and understand that I am strong like a rock I know because I'm God I know that we're beyond I know that we're the king we learn to be the pawn but we're not it's not natural to be inside of a habitat that's habitual because you know that you're a criminal to the ritual rabbit trap that is that this is this my brain's a trap and I know what religion is I know what the vision is it's attaching to somebody you love somebody that you learn to hug like your grandpa or your friend his name was Michael Larson he was something that makes my heart spin I know because I love him still and he's here right now the way that I look at it he still makes me smile sometimes he makes me cry sometimes he makes me friends sometimes I say forgive me sometimes we make amends even though he's gone he's actually really not gone neither is anybody that you've ever lost or anyone that you've ever loved they're here so give it up for your ancestors and all the tears and the blood put your hands up for the love put your hands up for the love that all of us feel when we stand and look up above at the stars at the dirt at the stars at the dirt at the stars at the dirt from the death to the birth from the stars to the dirt from my death to my birth from the stars to my dirt Missoula thank you Up every little bit to sharpen my bones. All grown.